This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Pricing your SaaS products for optimum lifetime value and growth. Today, we have our guest, Ajit Ruman, joining us. Ajit is the product marketing head at Narvar, a customer engagement platform that helps retailers inspire loyalty by enabling post-purchase experiences at an enterprise grade. Ajit is known, is known as a SaaS product and pricing veteran, helping many companies such as Medallia, HelpShift, and Feedzite differentiate their competitor products to grow their revenue. So welcome, Ajit. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Akeem. So tell us, what's your uh, personal background? And can you share your trajectory as the Director of Product Marketing, Mentor, Executive, and until eventually joining Narver a couple of years ago? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I've, uh, I have a military brand, uh, lived in many, many cities while growing up, so 12 different cities uh, in India. Came to the Bay Area for grad school about 12 years ago um, and have been working in the Valley for a decade now. Um, my, I've been fortunate enough to work with companies who are fast growing uh, you know, straight out of school. So that gave me exposure to environments where you know, we were ramping a lot of sales and growth and we're seeing the evolution of a company from a small you know, 100 person company to a thousand plus company. This was Medallia. So that was kind of my entry into the world of startups in Silicon Valley. And since then, I've been at a few more companies uh, right now, uh, running product marketing at Narvar. Uh, but I also like to uh, you know, spend time in the community. So I'm part of the Revenue Collective community where I run the pricing channel. I'm, I also am part of the first round capital fast track program to mentor um, you know, smaller startups and executives in those startups. Um, yeah, so you know, the journey is uh, one of you know, immigrant, <laughs> immigrant story of coming here for education and then uh, being fortunate enough to have the opportunities provided in the valley. Very cool. So you know, typically we have a lot of you know marketers and then maybe also product professionals who are listening in. Um, as an experienced and successful product and marketing professional like yourself, what would you say is you know instrumental to be effective in those roles and specifically in the SaaS startup space? So in product marketing, marketing specifically, there are there are a few you know function specific skills as in any any function, right? I would say the 
those skills uh, that are more about marketing, positioning, messaging are easily learned. They aren't really rocket science. What is unique about the role is that it is very, um, it is non-linear. So most roles like customer success, professional services, you have your customers, you need to keep them happy. And it's the same playbook that you keep applying. Um, in product marketing is one role that is extremely diverse in the type of things we do. So one day you'll be doing strategy. The next day you're cutting a video. The third day you're talking to a customer. The fourth day you are, you know, trying to train sales. So it's very diverse in the mix of the work that we do. So it requires a high degree of agility inside an organization to move between levels of strategy and tactics. And the key thing that makes great product marketers different from good product marketers is that they're able to stretch both interpersonally and have multiple conversations going on with different teams. They're able to influence different teams so that you can, they can bring them together, but then also that they can see the forest from the trees, but then also get down in tactics. So it is a very, uh, it stretches uh, your bounds as an individual a lot in this function. Hmm. So it seems to be, you have to be very diverse in terms of your being able to kind of wear a lot of hats and be involved in a lot of uh, part of the operations. Um, right, right. Cool. So, I mean, your expertise and what the kind of uh, heart of this podcast is all about pricing, um, right. you know, specifically for software and SaaS companies, what's kind of the number one mistake or what do you see go wrong about pricing? And can you share some of the best strategies you've seen from, you know, pricing being in the Valley? Yeah. So what tends to happen in Valley companies is either a company starts at an enterprise scale and sales makes up the pricing as they go. And it's, it's bound to happen. There is nothing wrong about it. That's how things uh, evolve. Or your startup is more of an SMB startup, you know, with a lower price point and you're selling it for like $10 a month, $9 a month and so on. And as your company grows, either you go from being an enterprise company to more also having a mid-market segment. Or if you are an SMB company, then you'll start to go upstream a little bit. Um, and what you want is a more consistent way in which to capture revenue and value from the market. And that's where pricing packaging becomes important because if you are doing it how you started as a company, then you become suboptimal because if you grow and you have, let's say, 100 customers, then some customers are going to be big customers. Some, you know, just to make it simple, some are big, some are small. The big customers have different needs. They may use different use cases. The smaller customers may use, you know, your most high velocity packages. So then pricing packaging for a SaaS company typically is about how do autom how do we automate and create these structures such that we can, uh, when we go to market, we are clear about our communication as to what offerings uh, and packages are good for which segments such that we are able to maximize our value in kind of this demand curve. That's really the, what the evolution is. And the mistakes tend to be when companies grow, they don't evolve fast enough. So in on one direction, uh, there are companies who just have like this traditional good, better, best model, but they actually have an enterprise motion and they leave money on the table. So that's one way they leave money on the table. The other way is if they are bigger and they have like this just, you know, uh, every deal is just going to be custom scoped. That creates a lot of overhead and that also inhibits scaling because your your deal lengths keep getting longer. You're not sure about how what is your consistent price points and you're just reinventing the wheel every time when you're doing pricing, right? And that is also confusing for customers and creates 
it's a lot of overhead so in both ways companies then end up losing leaving money on the table if they don't evolve their pricing fast enough mm. and when you mean evolving pricing are you talking about increasing or are you just kind of adjusting and pivoting based on kind of what your conversion rate is yeah it's mostly like the price point is almost the last point part of this whole equation the biggest problems are are do we have the right packages for the right type of customers and then within the right packages are do we set the right pricing variable right is it a per seat pricing is it a per account per email send contact whatever depending on your product whatever the pricing variable is have you set that correctly and have you aligned it to customer value so packages and variables uh that you use to charge for your product are the most important things to scale mm-hmm. pricing basically and once you scale it properly that's where you get the bang for the buck it makes sense so obviously you know the saas model is becoming more popular uh you know both from smb perspective and then also enterprise you know it's growing at a fast rate uh and pricing models are kind of maybe outdating as well how, how do you kind of recommend saas founders to think logically and systematically about their pricing model when they're looking to to build that out yeah um well i kind of take a sequential approach in mm-hmm. uh, going through pricing right so let's first of all is like you identifying there is a need to solve the problem right so that that will show up in your metrics that will show up in either longer sales cycles that may show up in esps that are not increasing that may also show up in shelfware if you have products that you sell but people are not using parts of those products so it will start to show up in your you know you can't upsell them again so at some point it will you know your account you have to look at how are your accounts growing in time are the, is the product adoption good enough right and most likely an under uh under optimized pricing model will lead to challenges there so now once you've identified there is a problem and that is a natural phenomena you will identify once you start looking at your numbers that okay there is a problem the way to solve it like i like to solve it sequentially so i start you know there are four or five main decisions that you have to make and i would say review these these in order right first is review your packaging are you really creating offers and packages for the market that are very specific to use cases and customer segments such that you have the enterprise plan it really solves the need for enterprise plan enterprise customers and scales appropriate to their needs then you have the smb offerings do are they customized enough to their needs right so look at the packages there is a whole you know set of literature that you can read to better understand it i'm including some of that in my book as well and then when you go you figure out the you have the main structures right then you figure out your key pricing variable so there are a couple of approaches you can price based on capability you can say hey this is a product we charge you know $20000 or $200000 depending on what the product is uh and there is consumption based pricing right so if you are twilio you say per sms cost or x or if you are aws you say per gb storage or compute power this is how much we use or or it's, it's like a crm software say this is how much my product is per seat so pricing variable is really important because if the customer looks at the variable appreciates it intuitively understands it uh then it will be a well aligned pricing model that you can get enough revenue back and there's also some interesting things you can think about to actually maximize the value of of the you know the pricing that you get from customers so that's high leverage decision packaging and pricing variable and then is the structure so even after you have the pricing variable you can say well you know it's 
pay for what you use. That's one option, right? Uh, young companies say that. So, you know, as a prospect, uh, you like, well, it's great. I will pay for what I use. If I don't use it, I won't pay. As your business grows, you want more predictable revenue. And that starts to be less helpful. Then you want to have some part of the structure that is a platform fee as well as a transactional fee so that you have more predictability in uh, your revenue. So there are different pricing structures, single single part tariff, two part tariff, three part tariff, and so on. So these three decisions actually account for major leverage points in the pricing structure. If these are good, then you really are optimizing for it globally. And then locally optimizing for pricing is lastly the price point. What is the per seat price or the per API call price, for example? So that you can, you know, you, that that can be more discovered, and it has to do with your competition. It has to do with how much discounting your customers want, and a bunch of other variables. Mm-hmm. So that's that that final decision. But that's what I would say is to go through it in this order because if you sequentially solve it, then you will you're ensuring that you're solving it from a top down rather than a locally, you know, local maximum. Because if you just look at the price point, it's always constrained by the overall structure of your model. And if your structure isn't really well designed, then your price point variable, you know, if you change it a little bit, it's not going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. Hmm. And then when, when founders are thinking, you know, we have two, two sides, right? One are saying, okay, this is our, this is our price point. We're going to stick to our ro- roadmap. And then you have other founders who are maybe looking to kind of optimize their maximum, you know, revenue and LTV, which is kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. How would yeah. you suggest to them to effectively adjust, maybe increase their pricing? And what, what are they basing that key points or metrics upon? And how often should we be looking at this? I mean, uh, in general, a complete pricing revamp is often not done. You know, it. I would expect it to not be more often than every two years, but with some, some amount of optimization every month, uh, every month, sorry, every quarter. Okay. So that's the that's the frequency in which they should do it. Now, in uh, what was, uh, let me ask you uh, to repeat your first part of the question, please. Yeah, so um, if they're looking to, I guess, maximize their LTV uh, or, you know, versus compared to sticking to a price and sticking to uh, the roadmap, how do you adjust and increase their pricing and, and then what are they basing that on? What key points or metrics are they making that decision? So uh, the, the LTV really is, you know, LTV is the life of time value of the customer, right? So the lifetime value is going to be optimized if one, they customers think they're paying the appropriate uh, amount for your product. And two, they are actually using the product for a long term, right? So coming up with the right structure will ensure that, uh, you know, the packages, if the packages are well-designed, then it, they will be well-designed both for your first land, like what are the initial MVP the customer want and the expansion motion in, in a SaaS offering. If you give the customer all of your features in one go, they may not even be able to use it. So it will lie as be shelfware for a while. And then they will say, well, I'm you, you know, I have this plan, which is this high end plan, and I'm not using 10 things. I want to gen- churn or downgrade to a lower plan. Or they may start looking around, right? That happens, uh, that happens quite often, right? So that's not, that's something you don't want. You want them to have the right plan for them that's well aligned to the value that they're getting to maximize their LTV, right? So the structure solves a lot of that. The other point to price point is an interesting phenomena that, 
in some cases, pricing too low reduces demand for software products. So I follow this, uh, you know, VC called Tom Tungus. And his blog is like a wealth of information on pricing and many other aspects on SaaS. Um, one of the points he notes is that pricing acts a little bit like a Weblen good, where uh, if the, if you reduce price, then the demand starts to go down. And the perceived value of the product can actually be much higher if the price is higher. So specifically, let's say you have an enterprise product and you price it really low, even you know in, in total. Uh, many enterprise companies may just distrust your price if it is too low, right? So let's say you're a down market competitor. You're trying to go after an SAP or Oracle and you charge, you know, <laughs> you are 100x cheaper than them. Uh, Fortune 500 companies will not take you seriously. Right? They will understand that, you know, intuitively they will get you probably don't have enterprise capabilities or support and, and all of that. So it, if you have the right offering, it, you are doing yourself a disservice by reducing price because mm-hmm. you may think that you'll get more market share, but you'll get less market share depending on the segment. It seems to be a common misconception, right? When people are building out their, their SaaS is like, okay, we're going to do things equal or better than the competition, but you don't have the price. And they think that's going to help them get more market share. You're right. But then when they go out there, they realize that um, you should probably, you know, be equal or, or probably, you know, very similar to what your competition is, is saying, right? There's a reason for where they price it. Um, right. Interesting. And then uh, I think you mentioned this in an article where, you know, when you're considering and making your pricing decisions to be more successful, you compare, you know, segment center versus off centric, sorry, segment centric versus offer centric thinking. Um, Can you you chat a little bit more about what the difference is between them? Yeah. Yeah. What I was trying to say there is um, there is a lot of theoretical talk about pricing, right? And I mentioned this as well, right? You have to make sure that the pricing is right for each segment. What I'm trying to say is that in that article is at some point, pricing has to become a machine, part of your sales machine. And for pricing to be part of your sales machine, it has to become uh, from a theoretical concept into a hard offer, right? You buy X package, X package has so many features, uh, three or four different add-ons. That is an offer, right? And then the customer then opts into that offer because they fit it as the best fit for them. So the offer is what operationalizes your pricing, right? What you have defined the offer, the price point for the offer that helps the finance team with revenue recognition and predict predictability. So the offer is the conceptualization of the packaging, then the structure and the price point, right? And that offer is your vehicle to align the customer value to the revenue that you're getting. So I'm just think, I'm just providing another view of thinking about it as a machine that you have to build. And you basically, in that machine, this offer is what joins the customer to your company in a repeatable fashion. So if you are, let's say, I was giving you the example of a company, a company that starts and doesn't define price, right? For every customer, if they create bespoke price, they don't have offers. They have a process that is that is time consuming and is suboptimal. And as soon as you move to this offer mindset, then you have to train sales on these are our offers. This is how you communicate. This is the value. And they say then sales thinks about it very mechanistically. Then they say, well, this is the product, this is the price, and this is the value. So once that is done, your it helps build your sales engine rather than saying you know, have this bespoke conversation every time. And that's what gets you the delta in your pricing because you get more deals, faster deals, and at better price points. Mm. 
Um, and then, you know, another point of that, so let's say you, you kind of, you know, built out your, your pricing plan. I know some businesses, they think about their offer, you know, based on different segments or industries that they work with, right? In the SaaS industry, I think it's a little different. It's hard to allocate these different offerings with the MRR model, right? You can say, okay, you're in healthcare, we're going to give you this pricing. If you're in, uh, you know, in, in legal, we'll give you this kind of pricing. How do you kind of address that, you know, top of the market or bottom or different industries without, you know, uh, you know going too far from your original uh, model? Yeah, so some, there are two ways to look at it. Like one way would be, hey, we're just going to have enterprise-esque pricing structures where the structure may be the same, but your price point may vary based on the industry. And uh, and I've been at companies that have done that, Medallia, for example, where price differed a lot between financial services and retail mm-hmm. for roughly the same type of packages because financial services companies could just pay a lot more. But even in those examples, you would have a couple of things that financial services cares more about. They care more about PCI compliance. They care more about certain type of uh, compliance. You know, you be compliant with some things as well as a certain set of features that help them maintain an audit trail, for example. So if you have different industry verticals, one option is you keep it as close to bespoke as possible, uh, but you, you, you know, not sorry, you keep it as structured as possible, but you hide necessarily people from being able to compare your price points. So you won't put it on your website. Your sales will sales team will know, well, this industry, this is the price point to use. Another, another industry, another price point. So that is one way to do it. The other way to do it, if your market size is really, really big, then that also becomes unsustainable and scalable. If the market size is really big, let's say you're coming, you're a horizontal product like Marketo, for example, and you have these different industries. At that point, you can't do it. At that point, you just have to do it based on company size. And then think about which features are driving, which capabilities are driving more add-on value. So is, if something is high value and differentiated, then that should be you know, an add-on. And then naturally, when the company, the industries that are more sophisticated will tend to then choose that expansion uh, versus the industries that are not that sophisticated. So that's one way to do it. Um, and I would say what determines that is your uh, overall market size. If you have a smaller market share, right, global 2000 companies, then you can you don't have to be that uh, that fixed about it. But if you your size like 100,000 or 200,000 software companies, for example, then you, you know, it's very hard for you to have different price points for different industries. At that point, you just have to have a consistent, consistent scheme. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So we just have to, to be a little bit more aware of the differences. Um, you know, you have a lot of different experience on brand and product positioning, as well as me- messaging, kind of shifting to that gear. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak of any any kind of common mistakes you see startups making there uh, or maybe areas and how they can improve? Yeah, messaging is an important point. I think um, I, I would say it is even more volatile in terms of uh, <laughs> the, how fixed it is for any given SaaS company just because companies grow so fast. Uh, the most common mistake that I see is people t- talking about features first and uh, not really being benefit focused, right? So if you go to a particular website, you may say, we are the all-in-one XYZ platform, 
or we are the we are the we are a very new remarkable customer service platform and i i've seen this even in places where i've joined or worked at where these adjectives are either used or uh, it's the the discussion is too much about the features right the discussion is well here are all the features that we offer uh, so i mean those are very basic product marketing mistakes uh, mm. in in product marketing it's uh, it's weird that the term is product marketing because it's always never really talk about features you always have to talk about benefits and capabilities so, so that's number one mistake um and the other is when you see companies using these adjectives like we are excellent or we are the best in uh we are remark like i literally this is the real example like remarkable customer experiences uh that doesn't mean anything right uh, in that's not specific enough and what it always indicates is that the problem is if you are let's say a copywriter and you've been asked to write messaging you have no idea about the icp um, the ideal customer profile you have no idea which segment you're going after you have no idea what your differentiators are in a nutshell the positioning idea and strategy you don't know so if you're just a copywriter writing messaging you're going to write something like it's a remarkable product so what makes it specific is the understanding of who it is for what are the unique values so that you can say well it is a it is a extremely uh, you know low latency mobile native customer service platform or something like something that's extremely specific that is then defensible and clear to the customers what they're getting uh, you know what the product is so that's one example for you you know so it takes an understanding and thought process of the positioning before you even come up to the messaging which many times companies are not aware of how to come to come up with that decision mm. so yeah so i think the focus of being more on the on the benefits of putting yourself in the shoes of the customer of where it's really benefiting them versus just talking about us what we do why we're so great and what features we have yeah i think that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so you mentioned something interesting where and how you kind of merge these two but you say you you like to kind of borrow lessons from politics into software uh what do you mean mm-hmm. by that and how can can founders think about that as well Yeah so uh <laughs> I am a fan of uh, you know if you are a SaaS marketer and you just look at SaaS marketing it gets really dry and boring really fast mm-hmm. uh but I look at you know I'm not I'm not an American citizen I am an outsider but I I love watching politics and seeing taglines so I am I when I was watching the uh, American elections and I saw the last presidential campaign the 2016 campaign there was a lot of very powerful um positioning and messaging that was used there was both a unifying message you know this whole make america great but underlying there was specific targeted messages to different groups so if you just think about the whole thing as a marketer uh it it was intuitively it made sense it was trying to focus on one key message it always hammered down that same message again and again and then then it uh there was a sub leveling to that and said for every person of a certain group it had certain things that assuaged their concerns or or hit upon the things that were important to them but there are, on the other hand there are also that so this happens across both segments it happens on the you know the right side of the political spectrum and same as the left uh one of the example uh 
So the, in other political movements, like we've had last year, we've heard the words used like defund the police and so on, right? Very, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's an example of something very polarizing yeah. and very effective at capturing attention. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that these words capture attention very fast. And it is, if you now correlate that to the Mark Benio of no software messaging, right? It was very polarizing and it captured attention a lot. So that's that's an interesting strategy for upstarts, smaller companies who want to make a name for themselves in an incumbent place. They often can create controversy with as long as it's tied to a kernel of truth. Right? It's not controversy for the sake of it, but what Mark Benioff was saying is, hey, it's no software, meaning people are tired of this on-premise software where you have to spend a lot of money maintaining, deploying. So that was the kernel of truth. And suddenly it found a lot of traction, right? So there is a, that, that's the right way to do it. Now, uh, so if you see what these politicians are doing, some of their messages succeed, some of them don't succeed, right? And when they don't succeed, you will see that uh, there is not an initial early adopter of that movement, right? It immediately causes a lot of blowback. So when you understand that, you see, okay, we, your messaging when you're small, you have to get your initial early adopters. And for that, actually more sharper, uh, more edgy messaging and actually help you get those early adopters. And as companies grow, so if you look at Salesforce today, they're not making any controversial statements. Right. They are you know, the CRM for everyone. They will not use any sort of that messaging again. And so you'll see them reducing, going, you know, the if you look at Jeffrey Moore model of crossing the chasm, you'll see them reducing risk for the laggards such that opting into Salesforce is the safe choice. Right. And that's what happens in the political spectrum too. If you are, mm. you know, be, if you are a long-term politics person, you'll, especially when you are in the time of being elected, at that time, you'll see messaging shift to being very uh, palliative and you'll see messaging catering to all Americans. But in the primaries, you'll see messaging very sharp and focused on the, the edges of the edges and the early adopters because you want the early adopters to then get the laggards. So it's the same phenomena that also happens in technology. So yeah, that, that makes sense because I, I can imagine now, you know, with, with Salesforce being a publicly, you know, the size of what they are and the size of their market, they have to kind of uh, appeal to a bigger market. So their messaging has to, to be yeah. in, in, in sync. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Ajit, kind of shifting gears to kind of the rapid fire questions we'd like to ask at the end of the podcast. Um, you know, looking back, what's one advice you would wish you had known and would tell your 25-year-old self? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. No, I think the one advice, um, and this always you know, changes for people to people, but for me, it was being better able to um, be more open-minded mm-hmm. and, and work with a more diverse set of folks in a more easy way. So, you know, I've not had like a, my background isn't one in sports. Uh, it's, you know, teamwork and team collaboration was something that I had to learn. And especially in Silicon Valley, where your company is growing double every year, right? And you have to come up with new approaches and techniques. It requires a very strong sense of being open-minded to any sort of idea and changing your strategy or way you're doing things almost every month or every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, when I was you know, earlier on in my time in the Valley, I was not appreciating what that phenomenon was. And I was like, oh, this is my job. This I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. But that cut me off from understanding how the job will evolve. So that's one, one tip I'd give myself. Okay. Um, 
What are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow the brand? Like what keeps you up at night? Um, well, you know, is in terms of the, you know, there is a company side of things and personal side of things. In sure. the company, you know, we've gone through COVID. COVID hit us somewhat uh, earlier in the year. And then there was a period of stabilization. Now we're on a growth trajectory again, right? So it's about the constant question that I'm asking myself is, are we being defend? Is it a time to be defensive or offensive? So defensive would mean being very strategic and you know being more tactical actually, and fixing the on the bigger projects. But being offensive would be let's grow the team much more, right? So that is more the case with the CEO. But even for me, I have to think about what are the areas that I need to invest in so that we are ready till the year end, and how do we move the ball forward to have the bigger growth opportunities. So the question is always. Uh, what, what is the right time to to put more chips on the table to get return, right? And if I do it a little sooner, then I may not get return and that those investments will get wasted. So that's kind of the startup dilemma. Mm. Uh, you know, I, so, you know, personally, it's the personal, you know, nothing is keeping me up at night, but uh, there is just like so much opportunity uh, that what I tend to think about is what is the best way to make use of it. There's opportunity at work. I'm talking to you today. So there's opportunities for collaboration. Um, there are so many people to learn from in the Valley. Um, that that's what keeps me excited as well as sometimes just, I put a lot on my plate. So I have to think about how do I mm -hmm. intelligently go through it. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, who or what you say were the best three uh, best resources that could be books, it could be people, it could be mentors or people you follow. Who would you say have been the most instrumental to your success over the last couple of years? Uh, that's a tough one because mm. I would say, let's see. I think you mentioned um, one earlier, right? Uh, who, was, who was kind of an expert in pricing. Um, right, right. So, so functional area, yes. So in pricing, when I started off just on the pricing subject, yeah. There is a lot of noise out there. There are a lot of blogs that says, here are the 10 strategies. There are the five strategies. A lot of SEO content that isn't really thoughtful. That was really frustrating to me when I started because I'm like, I just want to get good knowledge of how pricing is done. So Tom Tungus is the VC at Redpoint Partners. His blogs are always by far the most informative and distills complex insights across his tenure into very small points that are very helpful. So he is the best in terms of pricing that I learned from. Uh, there are others too, but for me, he takes the cake. Uh, and in terms of product marketing, product marketing is a little bit of a very broad area. Um, I know uh, sharebird.com is a really nice resource where all of the folks who are director levels and above have a lot of ask me anything or they you know, put in their thoughts. So you, if you, I go there, actually, I was there yesterday looking at what another VP of product marketing has written about messaging, right? So I was looking for more ideas. Uh, so that's a resource that I use for product marketing. Uh, but outside of that, uh, and the third one that I'm using nowadays is Revenue Collective. So Revenue Collective is an exec based uh, leadership forum where a lot of sales and marketing leaders talk about their day-to-day -day, uh, job challenges, uh, career path challenges. And that gives me a great visibility, both a network and visibility into what are the questions people are asking one level above me. So I'm just always looking at, okay, what are CMOs asking so that I can learn their mind, you know, mental state. But outside of that, I'm really thankful for 
the folks who have guided me and mentored me along the way, uh, you know, one is the opportunity, it's an opportunity. So if, if you're in a company that happens to grow, you learn a lot. So Medallia was a great, great place for that great culture. Uh, there are a few bosses, Sam Kenninger, Michelle Dehaf, that gave me my break in the, in the function. And I'm really enjoying Narwar too, right? Narwar has a great culture. So uh, I really appreciate and th- I'm thankful for great organizations with great cultures. And that's not one more thing that I recommend to people. Just find a place where you are able to grow and have folks that have your back. They want you to grow. They, they support you when you're trying to learn something. And I feel like that's this so much more nicer to be in that environment as you're, you know, in your journey. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with that. Um, Ajit, what does success mean to you today, whether it's personally or, or financially or business or life? Uh, that's, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I have a really great answer to that question, but uh, I would just say, you know, success, there's uh, the success. There is like a financial part of success, which is, you know, tied to skill sets and value delivered there's definitely that and then in work life as well in this personal life there are uh, relationships Um, so you know are the relationships meaningful both in work and personally and if they are then that provides actually for me a lot of sense of success and contentment that I'm being able to build relationships that are longer lasting and then, then they start to you know provide benefits to everyone concerned so uh, you know, they're the financial aspects and the personal relationship aspects that I'd say. Nice. Awesome. This, is, this has been great, Anjit. I appreciate you jumping on uh, SAS District show today. For those listening in, where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what you're, what you're working on? Yep. Uh, so my website is ajitghuman.com, A-J-I-T-G-H-U-M-A-N. Uh, and once, once you're there, uh, I, I, there's a place for the pricing book. You can you know, send me your email address. I'll let you know once the book is out, make sure you get a little bit of a discount. You can also find me on LinkedIn and just connect with me there. I'm happy to you know, discuss ideas and uh, you know, answer any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for jumping on today. And we'll add those links to our show notes for, for everybody to check out. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ajit. Appreciate it. Thank you, Akim. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.